Welcome back to Soulful, an immersive podcast brought to you by the School of Lived Experience. I'm Michelle Wu. And I'm Tony Patrick. Today, we dive into episode two of Somatic Journeys with Miguel Rivera and Micheline Berry. In the first episode, we shared how to establish a relationship with water. In this episode, we're going to share establishing relationship with earth. So I have an origin story that allows us to see that we come from the earth. We emerge from the earth and also we return to the earth in a cyclical fashion. So what this is, is an invitation for us to develop a relationship with each one of the elements that is reciprocal at all stages in our life, all the way from the beginning and all the way to the end and ongoing, arising from the mystery in the dark and returning to the mystery in the dark after we have a full life unfolding on this earth. Could we talk a little bit about why Earth and why Earth as a follow-up to water? In our first journey, we were working with difficult emotions. We're working with themes of grief and loss, metabolizing difficult feelings and emotions. And our meditation in the Earth journey is very much around regeneration, belonging, interdependence. It's a nice complement to the work we did in our last journey. We all come from the earth in some form or another. All the atoms and molecules that make our bodies come from this earth. So by returning to earth as a way of resetting ourselves, also being able to transform the grief that we carry. The earth is a metabolical agent, the transforming agent for grief, for sorrow, for anger, for resentment. This is the best way to put it all into the earth because the earth will recycle it, make it brand new again. So we have to remember where we come from in a physical way, right? Thank you guys so much. Let's dive in. Poor Humberto Acabal tells us, roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. By returning to the earth as a root, we go back to source. Sharing creation stories from all over the world, we are sharing our common source. So in that spirit of sharing source, we're going to go back to a creation story that comes from the lands down under, from the Aboriginal people of Australia. And we know that by remembering deeply that we all come from the same source, we are all connected as one big family, going all the way back to the beginning. Feel the land around you. Feel yourself rooted to the land around you. Feel the elementals of that land, whatever they are, wherever you are in this world, on this planet. Feel the ancestors of that land. Invite the ancestors from your land. And also, we are going to invite the ancestors from the story to come and share time with us so that we can all be together as a family to remember the common origin of all of us. In the beginning, in the beginning, the earth was an infinite and murky plain, separated from the sky and from the gray salt sea and smothered in a shadowy twilight. There were neither sun nor moon nor stars, yet far away lived the sky dwellers, youthfully indifferent beings, human in form, but with the feet of giant birds, their golden hair glittering like spiders' webs in the sunset, ageless and unaging, having existed forever in their green, well-watered paradise beyond the western clouds. On the surface of the earth, the only features were certain hollows which would one day be waterholes. 
There were no animals and no plants, and yet clustered around the waterholes, there were pulpy masses of matter, lumps of primordial soup, soundless, sightless, unbreathing, unawake, and unsleeping, each containing the essence of life or the possibility of becoming a being. Beneath the Earth's crust, however, the constellations glimmered, the sun shone, the moon waned and waxed, and all the forms of life lay sleeping. The scarlet of a desert pea, the iridescence on a butterfly's wing, the twitching white whiskers of old man opossum, dormant as seeds in the desert that must wait for a wandering shower. On the morning of the first day, the sun felt the urge to be born, and that evening the moon and the stars would follow. The sun burst through the surface, flooding the land with golden light, warming the hollows under which each ancestor lay sleeping. Unlike the sky dwellers, these ancients had never been young. They were lame, exhausted, gray beards with knotted limbs, and they had slept in isolation through the ages. And so it was on that first morning that each drowsing ancestor felt the sun's warmth pressing on its eyelids and felt its body giving birth to children. The snake one felt the snakes slithering out of its navel. The parrot felt feathers. The grub one felt wriggling. The ant one felt a tickling. The mouse felt baby mice seething under its armpits. Every one of the living things, each at its own separate birthplace, reached out for the first light of day. In the bottom of their hollows, now filling up with water, the ancients shifted one leg, then another. They shook their shoulders and flexed their arms. They heaved their bodies upward through the mud. Their eyelids cracked open. They saw their children at play in the sunshine. The mud fell from their thighs like placenta from a baby. And then, like the baby's first cry, each ancestor opened its mouth and called out, I am, I am snake, I am ant, I am, I am, I am parrot. And this first I am, this primordial act of naming was held then and forever after as the most sacred and secret couplet of the ancestor's song. Each of the ancients, now basking in the sunlight, put left foot forward and called out a second name, put out right foot forward and called out a third name, naming water holes, reed beds, pine trees, calling to the right, calling to the left, calling all things into being and weaving their names into verses. The ancients sang their way all over the world. They sang the rivers and the ranges, salt pans and sand dunes. They hunted, ate, danced, made loved, killed. Wherever their tracks led, they left a trail of music. They wrapped their whole world in the web of song, and at last, when the earth was sung into being, they felt tired. And again in their limbs, they felt the frozen immobility of ages. Some sank into the ground where they stood. Some crawled into caves. Some crept away to their eternal homes, to the ancestral waterholes that bore them. All of them went back in, returning to the dark that held them. All of them went back in, returning to the dark that held them. So find a place to lie down, 
whether it's inside or outside, to go back, to return. And allowing the weight of your body to be received by the Earth's embrace of gravity. Nature is full of fractals of various range and scale, from the branching of our human blood vessels and neurons to the branching of forest canopies, back to the branching of our own lungs. We are expressions of a radically diverse, creative, animate Earth in reciprocal rhythm with our own bodies. So take in a deep inhale and exhale and let your body be held by the Earth. Let your bones, your muscles, the weight of any difficult thoughts or emotions to be held by the Earth. The Earth teaches us the commitment of regeneration. The earth teaches us that transformation happens over time. The earth teaches us that we are part of an unending array of interdependence, that we inter-are, as Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh used to say. So as we arrive into this collective space of renewal, the invitation is to open, to listen to your own body's three billion year old ancestral earth wisdom. Surrender the weight. Let yourself be held by the earth and her gravitational embrace, slowing down, feeling what you feel, grounding into the earth. Consider you are the earth's human flower, unique in your color, form, and rhythm, an intimate part of the endless diverse creativity and radical imagination of the earth itself. And you, you like the earth can repair harm done to any depleted inner terrain. The invitation is to drop deeper into the sensorial landscape of your own body, slowing down as a way to gain momentum. Invite your awareness to come into the ground and feeling of your breath expanding through the back of your ribcage. And on each exhale, release, release, let go, feel 
Any muscular tension, any holding, let your body be held, your bones be held. Several long, deep inhales through the nose. And several long exhales through the mouth. Let go into the emergent fields of sensation. Moving towards comfort. Nurturing the materia prima of your own human soil. Feel into the local ecology of your soma. Your senses opening in intimate reciprocity with the earth beneath you and around you. Begin to feel your body as a living extension of the earth's commitment to regeneration as your own nature, as organic to your own lived experience. And like the planet Earth, your body contains an innate ability to regenerate. You are a living system of regeneration. The very pull of the Earth's gravity is what keeps your own bones strong. Replenishing yourself, your art, your community, your shared futures. And as you draw your attention a little deeper, begin to connect to the bones. Bring your attention to your skull, to the rounded bones that house and protect your beautiful brain. Breathe into the bones around your eyes and deep into the face, everything breathing, bones breathing, earth breathing, Earth breathing inside of you, inside of the bones, your neck, cervical vertebra, clavicle bones, shoulder joints breathing, arm bones, elbows, wrists, fingers breathing, pelvis, leg bones, feet and toes. Allow your awareness to touch into the bones from the tips of your fingers to the tips of your toes.
sensing your whole skeletal body being held by this gravitational embrace by Earth. Resting together in the collective space of renewal, presence, and restoration. Moving towards comfort. So anything you need to adjust as you're lying here, whether it's face down or face up, Make any adjustment that you need to feel supported and held. And as you lie here on the earth, the earth of your body connecting to the earth of this planet, as you lie here, attune to the land within you. The sensuous inner cosmos that, like the planet, is inseparable from the cycles of the seasons, inseparable from the perennial greening and bloom of being. Sense your mutual wilderness. Your mutual wilderness in reciprocity. The wilderness within you. The wilderness around you. The wilderness beneath you. And simply... Rest in this blooming stillness. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll catch up with you in the riff. So we've just gone on this journey together, which was incredibly grounding, incredibly centering. And I want to get us started on our RIF. So for folks who are joining for the first time, RIF stands for Resonance, Imagination, 
forgiveness, and fun. And we use that as a kind of framework to orient what is otherwise a heart-centered, casual conversation moment to reflect on what we've just been through together. So I'd love to kick us off by saying, or by asking rather, what resonated for everybody? The first thing that stands out to me when I tell the story, I've told this story many times before, is the fact that the ancestors came out, created the world through song, and then they returned back to the earth to put themselves. And you realize this has happened before and it will happen again. So that means that the cycle of life and death is all one continuous wheel. Right. It never stops. So there yeah. is no end. Yeah. Or there is no beginning. There's, it goes from one manifestation into the other, like going from dark to light, the way the earth turns or the way the earth goes around the sun. And that's really important because we forget that we are so linear in our thinking that we now have to go back to a more circular, cyclical, reciprocal way of returning to source, right? What resonates for me in this work, in this journey in particular, is sensing hope, sensing reemergence as a lived experience. And what I love about this meditation and this story, Miguel, is that the other side of deconstruction is reemergence and reemergence in all this fractal diversity of life that cyclically bursts and make seeds and returns. I love the idea of life along a musical thread, right? But if we talk about uh, in the beginning of many of many faiths and religions, right? There's a word, there's, and I, but I love the idea of it being a note. And I think that this thing about music in our lives, and like you're talking about the cyclical nature of things in our universe, in our reality, but how music for me is a portal, is a continuum. And for me, it's also memory. And so there's something about this kind of creation story, but also the way, right, that in certain cultures pass on knowledge. Knowledge sharing comes through song, right? So that's what we also pass down. So, so there's something very resonant about if we even also tie it into earth, And one of the magical miracles of this existence can be music and even for the non-hearing vibration. So that's what resonates for me out of the story as well. Thank you for that. I've been getting caught up lately. And actually, my seed is about getting caught up. When I say I'm getting caught up, I'm getting caught up in my own storylines. Feeling the weight and anxiety of everyday life. When you're getting caught up, you forget who you are and where you come from. And so going through this journey actually was a much needed reminder that we all come from the same place. And just in that fleeting moment of remembrance, right? Because no doubt I will get caught up again (laughs) and forget. But in that moment, it does help to cultivate this feeling of compassion within me, right? Like all of the people and the things that are annoying me. If you think about the fact that we're all from the same place, that this person was once a child, once a baby, it totally reframes your whole sense of what's in front of you and therefore how you end up dealing with the situation. It resonated with me on those very practical terms. And then also, because I've been getting caught up lately, 
there's a lot of things that I'm still learning about myself. And much of what makes an imprint on us happens when we're very, very young. Things that we don't consciously remember, but that our our bodies remember, right? Things that the earth remembers. And it makes its way to the surface in these ways that confuse us. And so part of my attempt to exercise curiosity and vulnerability, that idea of memory, which you spoke about, which all of you spoke about really, also resonated for me. The question that I I guess I would pose is, what do we need to imagine in order to rebuild this connection to Earth? Somebody used uh, the word deconstruct. So I think what's really important is to reframe that when we return, we don't deconstruct ourselves. We disassemble ourselves and go back to our original source materials, right? So it's like returning. Mm -hmm. So you're not just killing it or denying it, but there's a way to return Mm -hmm. to the primal, what they call materia prima, the the unknown, mm-hmm. the origin. Like what I, one of the things that I was reminded is uh, my friend Humberto Cabal, you, you're going to hear the poems quoted all the time, but he has a poem that says, roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. And for us mm-hmm. to think of ourselves as a root that, has, that is connected directly to source and how we flower, how we bloom, that is our job to connect ourselves in our own unique way all the way back to that original creative source. And that's the invitation of imagination, right? Is how are you going to flower? How will you bloom? How will you recede yourself? And whatever it is that you're doing, because we all have that. If you're entitled to something, is to feel like you have a direct connection to source, to spirit, and you belong here. There's this thing about the, the crisis of belonging. Someone mentioned that in there talk and they were talking about political divisions and why as a society, in particular American society, was was part of the topic, so divided is because we haven't addressed one of the root issues, which is the crisis of belonging, which is something that we all want, regardless of where you stand there. Absolutely. This crisis of belonging has a direct impact on our environment and the disconnect between our behavior and how it impacts our environment because we don't sometimes get that we are the earth. There's a reciprocal relationship and that crisis of imagination. Crisis of belonging and crisis of imagination. No, 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 you're, you're dead on because that's, 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 that's the other root issue is the crisis of imagination. Yeah, the crisis of belonging has so much yeah. to do with that. When you look at the diversity of mm-hmm. the earth. It's just mind-blowing. We're part of this psychedelic <laughs> creativity. And when we can feel we belong to that, we will take better care of our relatives. Well, our relatives, so that's interesting because there has to be a reframing of earth as a sentient being sentient system that we are part of, that we're part of an ecosystem, not just the center of it. Yes, an animate system. And David Abram talks a lot about that. There's a great quote of his that I love. He says, the animate earth, this moody terrain that we experience differently in anger and in joy, grief and love, is both the soil in which 
all of our sciences are rooted and the rich humus into which their results ultimately return, whether as nutrients or as poisons. Gotcha. Whether as nutrients or as poisons, that's profound. And so when there is this crisis of belonging and when we feel disconnected from earth, we're often unaware of how we are poisoning earth and we're poisoning ourselves at the same time. Yeah, but the poison, I'll think, is, is lack of participation because you were talking about abundance earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And the earth is not, nature is not as abundant. We are the ones that hoard. We are the ones that withhold because we don't participate. And so we have to uh, learn how to participate. By participating, right. then you're, right. that energy that you're withholding, that's what turns toxic. Miguel, are you saying that in participating, you're in fact creating that belonging? Yes, by willingly participating and not objectifying the world around you or objectifying yourself. This is one of the dilemmas in using the English language because it's a noun-based language. So when you have nouns, when you use nouns all the time, everything turns into an object. And by consciously altering that perception, when you are relating to something not as an object, but as something that's qualitatively that's related to, you take that sense of belonging it's already included in how you perceive the world around you. Mm. So alienation being one of the biggest problems that we, uh, how people don't belong here if you are connected, if this is your home, right? If you belong here, if you're part of the family, then you're not going to feel an outcast, an exile. And I think that sense of longing when you don't have a place to go to, that's, that's where the toxicity is. It's really interesting. It's like the reverse. It's by willingly participating, then it's not poison anymore, but then it's food. And that's the one thing that we have to cultivate inside of us. We don't get it from the outside. It has to be born from the inside. Part of incentivizing or inspiring participation, I think at this point, is really dependent on how these ideas are being modeled by us as individuals and the ripple effect of that modeling in a collective setting. Because as a mom, I'm watching a little person figure out how to navigate the world as an individual, but also as a part of a collective. And watching her kind of negotiate the tension between wanting to be her own person, but then also very much wanting to be accepted by friends, by even her own parents. And what kind of behaviors communicate that sense and understanding of truly belonging. Because you can say this to someone. You can say, oh, I accept you. I love you. You do belong. But if your actions are critical, if they're not constructive, they're judgmental, they objectify the situation in a way, sort of divorces the individual. When you objectify something, you're separating yourself from that thing. There's a misalignment between what we say how we articulate these ideas, and then also how we actually apply them and Mm -hmm. enact them Mm -hmm. in real life. Interesting. But I was going to say, just this uh, micro shift, like uh, Miguel was saying, in language, and Michelle, like you're talking about that separation as well, but I I had this flash, like even just the way that we talk about the weather. Like if I were to say, oh, we're raining today, or wow, we're shining, (laughs) right? Or if I look at the garden, I go, oh, we're growing. Just the energy of that, imagining that as a marker for language, like makes me part of the experience in a way 
that reframes who I am in relation to the planet, to the weather, to the forces, to the elements. If, if we're playing with imagination, maybe that is an exercise to try five minutes of reframing your language as you describe what's in nature, but as you are a part of it. As you're saying that, I've got all these Miguel stories. You know, I've been studying with him for so many years. But um, I was river rafting in the Brazilian Atlantic rainforest. And it had rained the night previous. And so when I called the rafting company and asked what level the river was at, because I had brought 15 students with me, uh, he said, oh, it's a four. It's, it's strong. You're going to have to walk over a couple of the rapids, but we can do it. So when we got there, the river was significantly higher, but we decided that we could still go down and walk with people that hadn't had as much experience over certain rapids. So we're going down one of the rapids and the river was so strong that we got pulled into the waterfall instead of the rapid. And I was in the front. As we're cresting the waterfall, I see that I'm about to hit dead on below a rock jetting out from the mountainside. And in that moment, I'd done so many sweat lodges with Miguel. And in that moment, I swear to God, his voice came to me and said, these stones are your ancestors, relax. And so I just relaxed and I actually knew I was gonna die. So I just relaxed. I didn't know that about myself at the time, but I heard that message and that's why practice is so important because in those moments of transition, the things that we practice and the language is why I wanted to bring it up, the language that we practice, it helps us in these moments. And I hit that rock so hard. I had a helmet on. I had just enough time to turn my head. My teeth moved in my gums, but I was completely fine. And the reason I was the, the owner of the raft company that had been observing this so the only reason that I survived that, the only reason was because I relaxed. And I relaxed because as I was descending, I was descending towards my relatives. These stones are your relatives. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely a wow. <laughs> and that's a recontextualization that is needed. In one of our NYU courses, the students really leaned into the idea of our non-human kin. And that is the term that we've been using. You know, so what is the non-human family? What does that look like? And of course, the jokes in my head are like, then what do I do with mosquitoes? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you killed them. <laughs> Just let them, let them go, let them go. <laughs> okay, what's next? Fun. Oh, wait, we didn't get to forgiveness, did we? Let's just, should we just state one thing that we think we should be forgiven for in terms of Earth? We just uh, roundtable this for a second. One thing that we need to be forgiven for, the, the, for, for in terms of this uh, Earth. I'll go first. I think one of the yeah. things, I have forgotten how to participate willingly in my relationship to the Earth. So by giving the Earth my grief, my anger and my sorrows, I am participating Aww. in feeding the earth correctly because species basically live off each other by using what they consider to be waste product as food for, some, for another species. Trees is oxygen 
is their waste product. Carbon dioxide is, is our waste product, so we feed each other in that way. So how do we feed the earth? One of the ways to feed the earth is in our grief and, and in our death. We become food for the plants. We were talking about this earlier. Mm. So we, we should mm. feed the earth willingly, even with our bodies. I have a lot of stories about that. But feeding the earth, especially when, when it's time for us to go, we should willingly feed the earth with ourselves. So that's one way. And we have forgotten that severely. So that's one, one thing I feel is important. I mean, this idea of the earth as being the source of all, and we've been in this riff and also in the journey talking a lot about what it means to return. And I think for me, I'm, I'm trying as a parent not to always bring it back to <laughs> parenthood, but it's obviously uh, taken over everything in so many ways. But I am really looking at my relationship to death in a different way. And I think about it way more than I ever did before. Not because I'm getting older, but because... I've literally brought people into this world. So it's, my relationship to it has shifted and I'm very afraid of it. And so I know that there's something there that I need to explore and reframe for myself. I need to be forgiven for not being a better steward. That's what my brain is trying to like, ah, because I'm separating myself. This is what we're talking about. Separating myself from the earth, from the sentient being, from the sentient environment system that I'm part of, I, I have not been a good oh, that's steward. that's powerful, actually. That resonates, too. Yeah, it's easier, it's easier to avoid it because it's yeah. counter to how the system is set up. Absolutely. Right? So it actually requires effort and thought and intention. Every day. Uh, in a yeah. way that living the way we currently do doesn't require any thought at all. It's, we're on autopilot. Absolutely. And it's interesting how that shows up in different environments. Like, I drive my friends in the Bay Area insane. Why? Because they're on it every day, every day, 24-7. And I'm like, take a break, you know? And then and in New York, we get away with a lot, right? So, but but it is, there has been a call for that stewardship, that collective stewardship of, and I think the last few years has, has also been, and I, and I think I brought this up a little bit earlier, right? During the pandemic and the things that, that I cannot forget, which is like when the skies cleared and animals returned. Yeah, walking down the middle of the street of cities. Yeah, you know, walking down. <laughs> Remember boom. that? Boom. <laughs> the ecosystem showed itself. It's resilient, man. You know, and, and here we are in 2023, like, yeah, yeah well, yeah. I'm going back to Shed Shack. Know, it's all good. I know. What's important about that is that basically we stopped and actually do nothing. Yes. So the power of yes. it is that, that, but actually deliberately do nothing and just stop and to see what really needs to be done. And that's what's important. We are such terrible amnesiacs. Right away, we forgot we got to go back to the way it was, and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so we have to learn how to stop and to see what actually needs to be done. And sometimes just not doing anything for a moment doesn't mean not yeah. don't do nothing at all, but do nothing. So yeah. you can actually allow yourself to reset to recalibrate and let the, the earth will reset itself. It's done that many, many times historically, geologically. So let's figure out how to participate, to go back to that word again, how to properly participate and be in synchronicity with the cycles of the earth because we forget. That's why these practices are so important. Absolutely. Right? Like us just 
being here, going on the journey together because it it does force us to stop, right? Turn off the cell phone. Um, well, technically mine's on because we're recording right now, but you, you know what I mean. We, yeah, I was going to say we're not on Zoom, but we are yet. on Zoom. Don't um, turn it off yet. <laughs> but it forces us to take a moment to invest in, in that recalibration, yeah. right? Because it's so easy to just go, 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 go. Yep. And then everything becomes unconscious, right? Because you're avoiding and you're unable to deal with what's going on right in front of you. Yeah. I want to bring up this article and then shift to to fun. You remember this blog post? I'm sure we'll include it on the site or in a reference to something. Get ready for the great gaslighting. Do you remember this? And it was this blog post early in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic was like, remember this moment because the advertising's coming. The return to the great normal. right. I do remember this. Right? The return to normal. And I was like, and I read it. I was like, oh, wow. And it was like forecasting. Because they were like, this is going to happen. And we're back in that amnesia, you know, back in that amnesia at the moment, like Mikhail's saying, like, we can't wait to forget things (laughs) and get back to the smaller comforts. The last thing I want to just say about that is that I made a conscious decision in 2019 to start coming off social media platforms because my creative body needed to withdraw. And I just decided I was going to allow that as best I could. Now, this is very complicated when you're trying to run a business because there is a social demand now that you have a presence virtually. But I couldn't do it. And during the pandemic, I deactivated everything that I could and stopped updating my virtual self so that I could really live that pause. And it's changed my life. This project that we're doing together emerged from that process. What this reminds me of is we don't shed fur, feathers, scales, or leaves on a regular basis. I was going to say some of us do because some of us, yeah, well, yeah, but not the not not the one not the way not, not the way plants and animals. But do. not all of us. <laughs> But <laughs> but not the way plants and animals do. We don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, we really sure. don't yeah. we, we don't we really don't do that for ourselves. So we need to have something that allows us and it has to be cultivated. It has to be part of the cyclical maintenance. I can think of more graphic ways of describing it, but it's really important to take time off, time out. Plants go into hibernation, bears go into hibernation, right? If you ever seen a bird molt, it's like, it's pretty amazing, you know, what they go through when they molt. Fur comes off scales. So my goal is that this will allow people to begin to cultivate a practice where they ritually or ceremonially go into a space where they will actually take care of themselves all the way so that they recalibrate at a deep enough level so that they can actually feel their connection to origin, which lives inside of us. The process of transformation is not this well-curated wellness space. <laughs> the process is, is going into the muck, is going into the messy human content. As we shift to our last section of fun, I was going to say the rewards of being instead of doing Yeah, I was going to say something similar, actually, because um, I really um, struggle with putting the phone down. 
you know, at the end of the day, because there's always something else to do, another message to respond to. And you all know I'm constantly behind on texts. I'm behind on emails. I, you know, I'm forever playing catch up. And so in those in-between moments, I'm texting, emailing, you know, um, and, but when I finally do put it down and I do take a moment and even if it's just a read with Lil before bedtime. It's the best part of my day. And sometimes we feel like we don't have the space to stop or we can't stop or that we'll go crazy if we stop, Yeah. right? But then when you actually do stop, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I I feel so at peace. I feel different than I do 99% of the time. Renewed. And you said it renewed is what Micheline just said. Yeah, renewed, renewed, yeah. Boom, there it is. So fun. What I feel is this element, the earth element, is just replete with fun, replete with curiosity, replete with adventure, right? That's what comes up for me in this contemplation. In the, in the story Miguel told, too, is just, it's just this one invitation to adventure after another. And that, for me, is fun. Maybe other people don't find that fun, but I do. Miguel, how about you? What I've learned over the years is my practice is to go outside every day and find something of beauty oh, that I can see. Whether beautiful. And that, to me, it, yeah. it, so it's not, it, does, it doesn't come through an intermediary medium like phone, computer, right. news. Uh, it's directly like I go out and listen to the birds, put my walk barefoot on the ground, you know, really, and see, check out what's what's happening in the world outside. So it's just really important to make it uh, a, a change. Direct, but, uh, right? Recognize direct beauty, a relationship to beauty in some form. What is, how is nature gifting you with beauty? I've had so many moments like that over the years where if you look for it, even in in desperate times, in the middle of a traffic jam in L.A. years ago, I was so like that. And I happened, I was on the Ventura Freeway going into Hollywood. And I looked down and then there's eight lanes of, of traffic completely frozen. And in the cracks of the concrete, grass is growing everywhere. So oh, you go, wow. and I'm going, I that's that. tenacity of life. In, in, oh, yeah, however, tenacity. I will be there. The tenacity. So if you recognize the tenacity of life in those circumstances, and I go, what am I complaining about? Learn from this. Because somewhere in there, there's a message. And I stick to that all the time. So I think we have to cultivate that kind of a perception about the world and open up the bubble that we live in. You know, So I think that's important. So that's fun for me. How is the world going to greet me today in its own mysterious way? That is possibly the best place for us to end for today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Tony Patrick. And I'm Michelle Wu. And joined by... Miguel Rivera. And Micheline Berry. And thank you for your time, your spirit, your laughter, and your participation. We'll see you for episode three. Soulful is an immersive podcast experience created by Tony Patrick, Michelle Wu, Miguel Rivera, and Micheline Berry. It was sponsored and executive produced by Four Freedoms. Today's episode was produced by Micheline Berry, edited and sound designed by Miguel Rivera, with original theme music by David Ralicki. If you'd like to learn more about Soulful Somatic Journeys, our wonderful guests, or Soul, the School of Lived Experience, please visit our website at www.sole.house for more information 
and upcoming events. Thank you for your support.